Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Hello, welcome everyone to The Distraction here on Fightful.com. It is Thursday. I am Jeremy Lambert, joined as always by my co-host, the coward, Joseph Holbert. Joe, how are you? I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm worried. I... You know, I, I'm, we have a professional today, but I sense there will be no professionalism. I sense this is going to be a tough hour for me, but I'm ready, I'm prepared, and I'll try my best, folks, as always. We do have a special guest today from The Athletic. Uh, Blake Murphy covers the Toronto Raptors from The Athletic. Blake, we appreciate you joining us. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We are well. Uh, I'm very excited for this program because anybody who listens to us know we would much prefer to talk about basketball over wrestling. Um, but with basketball getting suspended back in March, thanks to Chris Paul, we haven't done much of that. But basketball is coming back. I wanted to have you on because I know you're also a big wrestling fan, so I thought it was good. And because you're a Raptors uh, beat writer and Joseph loves the Sixers, and I figured we would just make fun of him for an hour. So yeah. that's why that's why you're here as well. Never a bad time to drop an "Is this the dagger?" on a on a seventy sixers fan. <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing. I like I'm not. Everyone knows this. I've spent said this a million times. But I'm like a long term basketball fan. Okay, and that moment, I'm pretty sure will stick with me forever. Like I mean, let's just get out in the open. Let's be honest about this. Be up front here. Like I would love to see a video of myself watching that ball go up. And like the mini second of hope as it hit the rim, I, I must have for that whole second I was I was in the clear. We're fine here. And man did it change. It changed oh so quick. Crazy moment. I think that's the thing people forget about these big moments sometimes is like everyone, you know, they obviously mean so much to the fan base that it happens for, but like I've been yeah. a Raptor fan my entire like their their entire tenure pretty much before I became a Raptors beat writer and it's when you're on the opposite side of mm -hmm. those moments, it stands out too. Like Vince missing the buzzer beater against the 76ers uh, back in the Raptors' first trip to the second round, or you know even LeBron hitting the the full court sprint and buzzer beater over OG Ananobi the year before the championship, which kind of like 
was the official end to the Dwayne Casey, DeMar DeRozan era. Like those moments stick out too. And I, I don't think, you know, I haven't done a ton of reflecting on the 76ers side of, of that because obviously the, the Raptors went on to some bigger things, but yeah, thinking on it now, I feel for guys like you and Chuck Taylor and, uh, you know, all the other tortured 76ers fans in the wrestling world. Yeah, it is pretty wild because, I mean, look, I don't want to go about this a while, Jeremy. I'm sorry. I know, I know we're going to do brighter <laughs> talk. I'm trying it, just, you know. But it is wild that after all those years, like, there's a very good chance that in history, that little, like, four-month period where we had Butler and Harris, he's like, that was the shot, you know, and... It is what it is. Anyway, we're talking about wrestling, right? Are we going to do that at some point, Jeremy? We... <laughs> I mean, maybe. Look, I don't know anything about heartbreaking moments as a Thunder fan. I'm sorry that it's no, been all no. roses for me uh, the, these pa- this past decade or so. Um, we'll get into more basketball later. Let's let's talk a little okay. bit of wrestling. Blake, the, the question we ask all of our guests, are you a Brett guy or a Sean guy? I'm a Brett guy. Uh, I'm Canadian, so okay. I kind of have to be. You know, I, I am of the mind that there's a small degree of Brett screwed Brett to everything that went on. Um, but as a Canadian, you know, they'd revoke my passport if I picked Sean <laughs> over Brett. Brett being the technician and, you know, kind of the, you know, the leading, like, I, I mean, Sean obviously changed the game a lot with the ladder match and the way a smaller speedy guy wrestles. But Brett, from a technical standpoint, um, from, a, you know, just it, and for me personally, from a like when I got into wrestling and who I gravitated towards standpoint, uh, it's got to be Brett. I actually I got the I got the chance to interview him for a Blue Jays story a couple years ago and it was like the most I've geeked out on the job was like getting to have a phone call with Brett Hart. It was uh it was pretty fun. So yeah, Brett Brett's Brett's my guy for sure. Well, I'm so relieved right now. I know you are too, Jim. We have to throw anyone off the podcast. If they don't if they don't answer that question correctly, it's over. The interview's done, we we move on. But yes, I'm glad we assumed we just want to make it clear. Yeah, we figured because you were Canadian, all right, he's got to be a Brett guy. But if you said Sean, you would have been banned from this program, just like we've banned NXT from this program. We've banned a lot of things from this show, but we're glad that you're in the camp of uh, of Bret Hart. So, wait, I want to know about this Blue Jays story now. What what does Bret Hart have to say about the Blue Jays? So, um, there are the I, I don't know if he's going to be on the roster when baseball relaunches, because who, who knows, but the Blue Jays have a pitcher named Ryan Barucki, uh, and his brother, Matt, was like when Ryan was with the Blue Jays, he kind of became a part of Blue Jays Twitter. And a bunch of us on Blue Jays Twitter like overlap with wrestling Twitter. Um, so he like kind of like fell into the circle of people I tweet about baseball and wrestling with. Um, so I had like, we became DM friendly and he was like, oh yeah, like um, what, I forget the exact impetus for it, but like he was sharing some stories with me about how him and his brother were huge wrestling fans and like, when they were kids, they'd drive up to the baseball diamond and their dad would, like, blare Triple H's music uh, <laughs> as they, like, made their entrance to the baseball diamonds. So we got talking, and then, you know, I, I cover a couple Jays games a year when the Raptors were at a season. So I got to talking to Ryan Barucki about it, and he was like, oh, yeah, like, like he wasn't as forthcoming as his brother, but he was like, yeah, like, Brett was my favorite. And, and like, we got the joking about, like, well, you should name a pitch the sharpshooter or whatever. Uh, anyway, so, like, Brett caught word of the fact that uh, the Baruckis were fans of his and like sent a tweet out like hey good luck like you know i'm rooting for you guys because brett's a fan of kind of all the canadian sports um so yeah then i got him on the line for this story and just kind of wrote a thing about how this baseball family had these deep deep wrestling ties 
That's pretty awesome. Yeah. That is pretty awesome. I mean, any Brit talk is awesome, but you've already, like, normally we just comment, like, yeah, that match was good. You've already gone beyond that with that story, right? Like, there's an actual there's an actual personal tie there. Well, I have a Brit hot take. Is everyone ready for my Brit? I'm going to start this heavy. I've already uh, confessed my emotions about the Sixers moment. I'm, I'm carrying on here. I want to roll. I think the Owen match from WrestleMania 10 is Brit's best WWF match, and I'm sticking to it. False. I I'm trying to think if I have an argument. So the WrestleMania 10 match, look, mm-hmm. I I love the Iron Man match. I know that's a very divisive match of people. People either seem to love it or hit. Where do you fall in the Iron Man match, Blake? I, I like it. I think my favorite Brett match is Brett Stone Cold. Like the, yeah. the effectiveness of that double turn and what that match meant to, you know, first of all, there's like a year's worth of storytelling there, but also what it meant to the industry moving forward. Um, that's, that's my favorite. Um, yeah, the Iron Man match, you know, I remember really liking it. And I went back and watched it a couple years ago, and it was it was a little underwhelming compared to what I remembered it as. So um, I could certainly see why it's divisive. I still like it. It just, like, I had it in my head as, like, oh, this is my favorite match. Um, mm-hmm. And then I went back and watched it, and I was like, I don't think it is. I don't even think it's my favorite Brett match. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't argue with the own match. Look, Brett has so many classics that you could put any of them up there and be like, yeah, sure, that's that's his best match. Um, Bret Hart was definitely a problem. Emoji, emoji, <laughs> smoking puff emoji. Um, yeah, I, the own match is great, though. I'll, I guess I'll give you that, Joe. I guess I'll give well, you I that. Well, I just... I mean, Blake's right. Like, the, the actual answer is the Austin match, right? Like, his impact on the industry. It's the consensus greatest Brett match. Arguably the best Mania match. Like, objectively speaking, that's the correct take. But on rewatch, I have always found the Owen match more enjoyable. There's so much little subtlety to the way they told that story, right? Like, in a day now where all the storytelling is, like, gifable, and it's like, look at this facial expression. Hey, he's mad. You know, that kind of deal. Brett and Owen captured it just so smoothly. So that's the... I don't even know if it's a hot take, but to me, the Austin match is everyone's number one, and rightly so, probably. How many Twitter threads would there be for Brett and Owen? Like, there are breaking down the uh, Bray Wyatt-John Cena... What was that called? The the Fireflies fun, Funhouse match. The yes. 18 Twitter threads of, did you see this <laughs> moment here? There would be a lot with that Brett Owen match. Yeah, the subtlety that you plebes didn't understand was that they're brothers, and this is a family drama. <laughs> yeah, thank you for explaining the obvious storytelling points. It is great. Like, I, I don't want to be mean to that, because I love that they have that passion. I really do. I'm not trying to be a dick. It's just, I always love the way that they tweet it like it's something we never even considered, right? Like, it's like, oh, that's what they were doing when he did the mean face. Oh, okay, now I understand. It's always fun to me, that part of wrestling. Yes, when John Cena came out as Thugonomics John Cena, that was a reference to Thugonomics John Cena. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I, I'm a huge Bray Mark. Like, this is, a, this is wow. an argument I have uh, with friends of mine regularly. Um, are either of you guys baseball fans, by the way? No, I'm very not. slightly. That's probably my okay. fourth of the four. Okay, my two worst takes are that Bray Wyatt is the best, and Dylan Bundy is going to be like an ace someday. Um, and I get roasted for these takes consistently. <laughs> and like, I got like a couple months of Bray being actually good and interesting. And like, SummerSlam <laughs> was in Toronto, so we got to like go and experience that entrance live and everything like that. And it's just like, it's lost the thread again. I'm losing this argument. It's <laughs> I'm I'm still I'm alone on Bray Wyatt Island in my at least within the the fans the friends that I watch wrestling with. 
Yeah, you're not going to get any help on that one. Here, yeah, I think. But um, here's the thing. I There is something interesting about Bray that I think's lost a lot from those of us that still watch these shows. Is like his debut and arrival was like a traditional WWE debut, right? He was a character. It was vignette heavy, and you were interested in seeing him wrestle. He then did it again with the Fiend deal. And like at some point, like, I'm not a huge fan, but at some point you do have to be objective and be like, Maybe they're just wasting this, right? Like, how much can he do at this point? He's got two different characters over, and it never goes anywhere, basically from no fault of his own, I would say, anyway. Yeah, and, like, you can think back to, like, cult leader Bray and some of the some of the things they did there where, like, he had a ton of momentum when it was, like, the mm-hmm. Wyatt family against the Shield, and they were having those six-man, um, you know, when he teamed up with Roman there for a little bit. I thought the Randy Orton mania feud that Luke Harper was involved in, you know, one, they kind of dropped the ball on not including Luke Harper in it properly, yeah. but two, then doing the like pre firefly Funhouse weird visuals on the ring mat and stuff, just like <laughs> completely undercut what had otherwise been a good story. So you have all this, like these decent stories and Bray is such a great, you know, whatever you think of him in ring, he's such a great character actor. And then you have the conclusion of every one of these stories is just so overwhelming every single time. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Like, I don't know, you know, are these characters just not ones you can close out a story with effectively? Or is WWE just, you know, once it gets popular, they have to put their hands on it and dictate it. And then the ending to all these stories are so frustrating. Yeah, Yeah, the interesting thing is, is is the in-ring part that everyone debates. Like, I don't think there's one person in WWE that doesn't think Bray's good in-ring. Like, I think to their style, they love Bray. But the audience has turned it into this thing of, like, Bray can't deliver. But the truth is, any time he's actually had a normal wrestling match, which has been rare, right, over the last few years, I don't think you can say objectively he's been bad. It's just that, as you just said, there's so many factors going into some of these decisions with matches. Like, the Randy one is the best example by far. That was craziness. Yeah, like, he's good in the multi-man matches when the Wyatt family used to wrestle together. Or again, his team up with Roman. You know, I thought his Hell in a Cell with Roman Reigns was probably yep. his best one-on-one match. But yeah, the, the when you roll him out for the WWE style, like as the Mr. Rogers Bray against the Miz, like of course that's gonna suck. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I don't think uh, I'm not speaking for Joseph here, but I don't think we have an issue with like Bray and the work that he does. Because I'm with you. When the Fiend came out at SummerSlam, I was all in on that thing. The entrance was great. He came out. He destroyed Balor. Like that was the perfect like first match for the Fiend. And then they saw how over he got, how quickly, and they're like, well, let's put him in Hell in a Cell against Rollins. Like, let's put him against Rollins. And then, you know, that turned out how it turned out. It, it was a complete disaster. And from there, they just they haven't been able to pick it back up. Like, I think Bray is very good with the work he does, the character work, the the way he gets these gimmicks over. It's just like, like you said, like, WWE just after that they're like all right well now we've got to push him to the moon but then they're afraid to like really and this is this is the problem with all WWE. they're afraid to like fully push anybody to the moon mm-hmm. and that's why it's a, it's a company thing that's bigger than an actual wrestler thing and that's yeah. sort of a problem now yeah they wonder why they've had this trouble making the next generation of stars and it's because anytime someone gets to that second tier they then get blocked from the top tier whether it's you know, not wanting to strap the rocket to them and go too soon or whatever, or, you know, th- just wanting to stick, like, this this latest era of Monday Night Raw during the empty arena shows, 
is like such a great example where you know if you if you hear the the reporting it's like oh Heyman wanted to do a rebuild since there's no crowd anyway like let's take the time mm-hmm. to get these guys over and then like the ratings were bad which they were going to be anyway and then they're like oh well let's pivot off of that and let's have Andrade and Garza run the same angle 10 Monday Night Raws in a <laughs> row and suddenly two of our hottest potential stars are now like bland mid-card caricatures like and they just it feels like they cycle that same thing like insert your guy whether it's ricochet or like cedric alexander when he got called up from 205 alistair black even who's been in like a year two year long feud with buddy murphy it seems like which the matches are (laughs) awesome but like we should probably get some progression there anyway it just feels like they run into the same thing every single time and then you know the very top is always you know seth's always there or roman when he's there is always there actually sorry i shouldn't say that about roman because he did spend a pretty good amount of time there away from the title but um, you know, they fall into those same traps over and over again. It's amazing that they, and I know a lot of people have said this that are smarter than me, so I'm just going to repeat it, but they, like, are actively doing the stuff that they mock WCW for, right? Like, they can't get out of their own cycle. And then people think that's crazy talk. Listen, it's the truth. They have now had so many years where it was obvious they needed to just commit to guys, and they always use, they just cover the cracks up with guys that are already there, right? And it's like... Man, it certainly feels like now we're getting to the point where the consequences of all of that are coming clear. Because I don't know, like, I think their roster is amazing and it has incredible talent. But, like, have they ever had so many upper mid-card guys with so few actual stars in history? Like, I mean, it's insane right now, right? They have, like, 40 guys that could be in the Continental Camp and only a handful of actual top stars. Yeah, like they're not having the Millionaires Club squash the new blood, but they may as well yeah, be having the Millionaires exactly. Club squash the new blood, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Big Show KO in Andrade in a handicap match is full like <laughs> WCW stuff. I refuse any debate. It's full WCW. It's, and and um, that's before we even weird. get into things like Sheamus getting pissed thrown in his face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's that's the deal. Is sometimes it's like you don't want to be critical of it because it sounds like you're being personal, right? I like Sheamus. I like Jeff Hardy. I like, um, God, let me think. MVP has been great on TV. But when you see these guys on pay-per-views, you'll sit there pondering, like, what are we doing here? Like, at some point, you have to cut your losses. Like, John Morrison, even. I think he's been great since he came back. Is there a need for John Morrison to be on SmackDown? Probably not, right? We should probably move on at some point. It's just, it's very frustrating to me. Joe, you always make the point. I remember you brought up Apollo Crews had been on the main roster since like 2016. And I was like stunned by this. I thought like, no, he's only (laughs) been there like a year because they, it just doesn't seem like it. And Andrade is one you always point to Joe of like, he's just been in the same spot ever since he's been on the main roster. Mm -hmm. Like he's just that mid card guy who you can have great matches with and who you can do plenty of things with, but it's like, that's just who he's been for, for two years now. And it looks like there's no end in sight of this and it's it's really telling especially now during the covid era where you've got these guys testing positive for for coronavirus um and then so they're off television but you don't exactly like even miss it like roman sure all these other mid like do you guys realize Sami zayn has been off television this whole time it's like they've just pulled them off and they've plugged in a new person and things just yeah. move along like normal and it's like that with everyone they could just pull anybody off plug somebody new in and it's like they don't miss a beat because everyone is just interchangeable it feels like which is i think part of what their building strategy is right yes. and i think this is where they air is like you know you had the rock become this mega star and move on or hogan go to wcw you had john cena become kind of your top star and eventually transition out and i think they're so obsessed with like 
you know, to use like the marketing, uh, the marketing term, like the brand is supposed to be the star and you're supposed to be invested in WWE instead of invested in a Ricochet or an Aleister Black or an Andrade. And I think that, you know, that's too, they, they almost kind of like manage to the downside instead of the upside. And they're like, okay, well, what happens if this guy gets popular and then he leaves or, or we push this guy and it doesn't work out? When the question they should be asking is like, what happens if we keep doing the same stuff for another five years and suddenly we're only getting like one million for Raw or whatever? Um, so, you know, I think they just take the they're too kind of floor oriented and not ceiling oriented to kind of borrow basketball terms. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're worried about making sure they have, you know, second unit guys and they don't they don't care about who's going to get the 20 points a game kind of thing. Um, so, you know, it's not a, it's not a very sustainable long-term like roster building approach as a basketball team. And certainly not as like a brand, like in an industry that relies so much on the draw of stars, like it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Do you go, I think it's an interesting conversation because I think a lot of people, we're so deep in it, we forget, especially we're just talking about Bray then. Do you guys think there's a clear line in like the WWE timeline where you say that was the moment to actually commit to a new era. Like a fully, I know they did that deal where they were like the reality era at one point, which was just, you know, nothing. Do you think there was a moment there where maybe when Brian won the title at Mania 30 or when Punk was was riding high? I don't know. I often think about when did it really, because we all agree, right? Batista and Cena, whether they're your guys or not, like they committed to those two guys, they got over. They may not have been rocking Austin, but they got over. Um, when was that era? When should that have been transitioned into the next? Because it's been a whole lot of stalling, in my view. Well, what yeah, was... I... Oh, go Sorry, ahead, go ahead, Jeremy. No, go ahead. What was Mania 28? Because that was Rock Cena 1, right? Yeah. So I feel like 28-29 would have been that big transition time. You can still do yes. Rock Cena. I understand doing that match, and I even understand doing it twice because, look, they made a boatload of money off of that match um but like that would have been that time is mania 28 29 and so i guess 30 where you know brian had his moment but even before punk punk had left that january so you could have done the roxena at 28 done maybe like punk wanted the triple threat match at 29 right like maybe mm. you you do the triple threat match at 29 and then like you make punk you make cena because punk was over but they didn't like make him make him it was the same thing with yeah, brian of like he was punk was the champion but john laurinitis and john cena were headlining pay-per-views not cm punk so <laughs> i think that was the time where the wrestlemania 28 29 where you could have like really committed to essentially like the indie era of guys like punk brian I don't know what AJ status was at that point, but he came in a few years later. Same with Joe. Like, I'm sure if they wanted these guys, they could have just pulled these guys and then start making guys from there. Like, they tried with Roman. Roman was the 31. They tried to make him and go from there. Yeah. And then they just, you know, that turned out how it turned out. <laughs> I think where they aired with the CM Punk thing, too, was like, that entire kind of moment in wrestling where CM Punk was this voice of change... I feel like even though, you know, Punk got elevated and the summer of Punk was so huge, I still feel like WWE missed the point. And, like, they heard all this stuff and they heard the crowd reaction to it and they were like, okay, we have to push CM Punk and we have to try to get ice cream bars back. <laughs> and it's, like, really, like, it kind of mirrors a lot, like, a little bit of what's going on in the world now where it's like, okay, 
the point wasn't necessarily just that like CM Punk should be in the main event. It's that there are all these systemic issues and you're making the same mistakes over and over again. And you need to change the entire way you're approaching this problem. Um, but they didn't do that. They just slapped on the, okay, well, CM Punk's going to have the title now and we're going to do the, we're going to let him pipe bomb, but we're not actually going to change anything. Um, you know, in ter- to, to answer your actual question, Joe, I think, this is not maybe this is maybe not the best example because like you look at who was in this group and it's like it's not like you missed the boat on a ton of guys or anything like that. But the one that sticks out to me where it's just like, OK, they're just not getting it and they're never going to understand that, like the young guys have to get over is like when Cena kind of just like ended the Nexus. Yeah. It's like the Nexus was like your mileage might vary with that storyline. And again, not a lot of those guys became like huge things. But on principle, like you have this new group of young guys taking over and then it's just like, well, we're going to quickly feed them to the kind of the established order of things. Um, so that's when kind of it was just like, I, I feel like the decision making behind what was going on, even if you don't care about the Nexus, it was just like, oh, yeah. my God, here we go again. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, that one's interesting because um, Cena is a very selfless top guy, generally speaking. But I think he's been pretty like open in saying that was an error, right? I feel like he, I think he played a pretty big part in that himself, um, and that is an interesting one because you're right. Like it's easy now to sit back and say, "Oh, what did you know this guy ever become?" David Otunga, who cares? But that isn't the point, is it? You know, like it was an act that was different, and when you had a top, um, a main event scene of all guys that have been around for years, it was a chance to totally change the landscape. And you're right, they just totally missed it to the point where realistically, in the history of WWE. That angle is like a nothing. And it shouldn't be that way because it could have been a, a really dramatic moment is the point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think back to the moment where, you know, they, they tear apart the ring and they're destroying everyone like Daniel Bryan gets fired for yeah. um, choking out. I forget. I forget who it was. Um, Justin Roberts. Todd Phillips. Justin Roberts. There you go. Uh, for choking him out with his tie and stuff like that. Like that could have been like a huge moment that people remembered. Mm-hmm. And instead, it's just like it's kind of a footnote. Yeah, it really is. They could have, Blake, that's a good point about the Nexus because, yeah, a lot of those guys, like, they didn't go on to become much, but, like, everyone saw the star potential in Barrett, right? Everyone kind of agrees, like, Wade Barrett should have been a major player. If you bring yeah. back Brian and don't put him on Team WWE, you actually keep him with the Nexus, uh, like, he, he ended up becoming a star, still is today. Um, Ryback was part of that group, and Ryback was, you know, he was they they had a chance to make him during the punk stuff when he was red hot and they didn't do that like there's three guys right there who could have been your your future stars and everyone kind of agrees like all right your mileage may vary on them Ryback he he probably you probably weren't going to get much out of him like in ring promo stuff but Brian and Barrett could do everything and, and could have really been the stars for the new generation if you tack on Ryback as kind of that muscle guy similar in the same vein to like a Goldberg or Batista like they, they had three guys right there that they could have gone into this generation with who, you know, Brian's like, what, 40, late 30s, early 40s. Barrett's just turned 40. I think Ryback is a similar age. So they could have still carried the promotion to this day. And then now you start making the, the kind of newer guys as well. Now you make, I guess, Drew McIntyre's there. You do Andrade <laughs> and stuff like that. So, like, yeah, they could have and- made the Nexus. <laughs> Bray, Bray was in there with Nexus, too, if yeah. they didn't saddle him yeah. with a stupid husky. Like, if you lean into, you know, whether, even if he wasn't Bray Wyatt, like, you have Husky Harris and McGillicuddy or whatever the hell they were calling him at that point. <laughs> like, you have these guys with, like, 
serious wrestling lineage, similar mm-hmm. to when you rolled out Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase with um, uh, with Orton. Like you could have done something with that too. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, it's not like it's not like Bray was lacking in promo skills or like like it's not like Bray was lacking in it. If you took away that stupid Husky Harris thing. <laughs> Yeah, too often wrestling fans like are blind to the fact that the presentation can really shift the way you view guys. You know, like I was watching again watching Raw mistake, but I was watching it, and like Heath Slater can really talk. Like the guy has an actual tremendous promo, and I'm watching this thinking, like he, I'm not saying he was used wrong or any of that. I'm not even complaining about. It. I'm just saying because of the way he was framed and presented, he's a, a goof, right? Like he's a silly character. But that doesn't mean he can't be something else. So when you look at all of those Nexus guys that you just named, um, Hennix, uh, you know, McGillicay or every Curtis Axel, like he could have been whatever they wanted him to be. You know, maybe he wasn't the most colourful guy, but everyone agrees he could wrestle. So the fact that he turned out to be nothing doesn't mean he was always going to be that way. A lot of the time they decide that from day one when they're uh, packaging these guys. Joe, you For always sure. Bo Dallas is right there with McGillicuddy too. And not just because they were a tag team, but like Bo Dallas had like before NXT was really NXT he had this amazing NXT yes. run where like, there's no reason that couldn't have been like a main card, like a WWE mid card kind 100%. of thing. And instead it was just like, we don't get it. So it's comedy. Uh, anyway, there are a ton of examples like that. And I, again, like, like I'm not saying Bo would have been a top guy either, yeah. but like, you you certainly could have had Bo and Axel be like a more serious tag team to float the tag team division in that, you know, there were a couple years there where that division had no teams at all. And you were just locked into like all the teams were comedy teams like Heath and Rhino and B team and stuff like that. Um, anyway, yeah, that just yeah. Bo's another guy that I group in with there that had more than they gave him for sure. I agree. Joe always likes to bring up that. NXT is almost WCW in that when they come up to the main roster, whatever they did in NXT like doesn't actually count. And because Vince, I don't know, maybe he doesn't watch the product, but he just, it doesn't, whatever they did, it just doesn't matter. It's like, all right, these are just fresh faces starting over. And that's exactly how it was in the invasion. Like you've got these guys coming in. Like DDP is this big star in WCW. It's like, yeah, no one actually knows this guy. So now he's just stalking the Undertaker's wife. Like that's his big first gimmick. And like, that's how it is with NXT. These people come up and they're getting good reactions. Like Shayna Baszler, like comes up, she gets a good reaction. Like everything that made her great in NXT, Vince is just like, I don't get it. We're not going to use her. And and that's yeah. kind of like Bo Dallas is a great example because I'm with you, Blake. I like Bo Dallas in NXT. I thought this was a good gimmick. I thought it could it could work as a mid card gimmick in WWE. No way, Jose is an example I like to give. That's a perfect just opening guy who can just come out, get the crowd into it. Crowd loves all that stuff. It's not a main event thing, but that's okay. He's got a place on the roster, and he just comes and he up to can different... wrestle a little yeah. bit. Yeah, it, it just yeah. comes up to the main roster, and it's like we don't get it. Just do your conga line, and then we're just gonna beat you in three seconds, and and that's it. And it's like you gotta wonder why none of these guys like get over or well, stay over. Just to expand quickly, and you know, on that WCW thing, if you look at like um, what Bailey's doing now, that is so in line with that comparison because that's the whole deal where Vince like breaks them down and starts fresh, and he gives them a new thing that's WWE fired. But now she's an obnoxious heel. That's my thing, you know. And if you look at how when Bailey came up. Like, it almost seemed like uh, the trio was Alexa, Carmella, and Nia were the three that they weren't NXT stars, they were in NXT. And it felt like the WWE team was like, oh, that's fine, they're a fresh slate. 
You know, fans don't expect anything from their NXT run, so we can actually do stuff with them immediately. There is some real weight to that comparison, and it's insane because they're the same company. <laughs> it's so wild to me. I just find it bizarre. And not only are they the same company, but, like, if you want to talk about how you get someone over initially, like, you have all this NXT footage and you have all these NXT yes. stories that you could, like, use to build someone up upon their debut. And it's like, you know, I, I, I think back to, like, that SmackDown when part of the roster was stuck in Saudi Arabia and Adam Cole versus Daniel Bryan had this incredible match and got a good reaction. It's like, if Adam Cole had stayed up, like, he probably would have got the same treatment that everyone else yeah. has gotten. Like, you look at when Gargano and Ciampa got that temporary call-up at one point, and it's like, oh, they're not feuding anymore. They're just a tag team again. It's like, that kind of stuff is just, I don't know. It's It makes it hard to invest in NXT as anything more than, like, a, a takeover to takeover kind of thing like you just can't really get long-term invested in, in those guys i don't think yeah i mean there's a clear point and i i think it's after dusty you know passed because i there was a time where nxt actually felt like development and i don't mean just in the talents they signed i mean they were putting like uh, acts together that you could see fitting in like a traditional wwe like you mentioned bo i'm gonna go back to bo we're talking about him a whole lot here on this podcast but <laughs> the most airtime bo dallas has gotten on this but podcast for those of us that have watched a, a bunch of wwe he was like a traditional mid-card hero in wwf he was he was that kind of character you know if you look at like um some of the ex the bald villains even you know whether you like or dislike that was a classic like 90s wwf tag team good or bad and then at some point it became like the super indie and now you're left with situations where they can have Shayna Baszler as the top heel for over a year. She moves over to another brand, and it is like she did nothing. Like, because she's never been suited to the WWE system. So it's interesting to see how it's developed to the point where NXT now isn't even trying to create people for the main roster. It's just a thing that they eventually move over when there's nothing left for them to do, I guess. It's, it's changed a lot in the last few years. NXT now is just, you know there to hinder aew and uh after yes, last sir. night of uh great american bash and fighter fest what did you think of alexa bliss winning the nxt title at great american bash last night blake <laughs> <laughs> i don't uh you know we go back to uh go back to alexa bliss's nxt days and i still i still hold the grudge so i don't know if uh jeremy if you've ever seen me share this on twitter before but my name is Blake Murphy. Yes. And we, we, in the Blake and Murphy <laughs> NXT era, when they were managed by Alexa Bliss, not only would people um, think that I was Blake and Murphy, and so I would get like, I would get messages being like, Hideo, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Yes. Okay, like I would get messages like, Hideo Itami's going to kick your ass, man. <laughs> or like I would get a DM like, hey, can you ask the Revival to unblock me? Uh, but I would get, the thing that I would get the most is like about how Alexa needs to leave me and like find a real man and oh stuff. And, it's, you know, and, and this continued like, well after Blake and Murphy split up and like he was just Buddy Murphy and, and Wesley Blake was off being a forgotten son or whatever like I would still get it it's like no my it says Blake Murphy not Buddy Murphy and I would still I still it's been a little while now but I would say up until like six months ago I would still get tweets like this once in a while um especially when like people knew that Buddy Murphy and Alexa were like an in real life thing at one point I would get tweets about it or dms about it about how she's gonna leave me all the time so uh, as much as I like Alexa on the mic, it's still NXT Alexa is a, a little painful to relive. Uh, I'm sorry for bringing that up then. I was trying to do our usual bit of, 
something that's happened and uh, hasn't happened. But I did. I'm glad you you mentioned that because when I first started following you and I saw Blake Murphy, it was when Blake and Murphy were together, and it always just confused me. Like when you would tweet, I was like, "Why is Buddy Murphy tweeting about basketball? Why did he change his name to Blake? Like I don't I don't understand this." And then finally, you know, it all clicked with me. Uh, but yeah, I was telling they ruined my they ruined my SEO too. Like it, it used to be, if you search my name, my articles would come up, my Twitter would come up, and now you still get like to this day they've been broken up for years you have one unheard message hi i was calling current the influencer marketing platform but i think i just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast well anyways i was calling current because i was told they could help get my brand set up on tiktok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you still get Blake and Murphy stuff? It's, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they had a huge, they, they really hurt me, Blake and Murphy. It was, it was tough that's on amazing. me, you know? That's the I'm... best minutes ever put on this podcast. Is the, <laughs> for me, as someone that's been looking for seven months to talk about Blake and Murphy, the tag team, this is the peak for me. I want you to know that this is the pinnacle. It will never get there. Carry on, Jeremy, with what you were saying. Uh, I'm very sorry you've had to go through these like Alexa stands messaging you because we see this stuff on Twitter all the time. We sure and do. It's, yeah. it's very. I don't know. These people are just strange human beings. It's, it's so. very light compared to what these people surely get. Yeah. On it. Like the actual Buddy Murphy. And I'm sure, oh, you know, I'm sure if you're a, a woman in wrestling, like your mentions are just constantly garbage. So uh, I say this all like it was a burden very, very lightly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But still, it's just be better people. Don't message. <laughs> don't message the actual wrestlers. Don't message random people. My favorite is... Uh, the John Jones guy, the the white guy who's like a video game developer, and people confuse him for uh, John Jones, the UFC fighter. He gets some amazing yes. tweets, and he really leans into it. Uh, let's talk basketball. Yes. Blake, do you think this season's actually happening? Yeah, I do. I think, uh, you know, what is it, July 8th? So we're we're in the, in the couple days now where every team's going to Orlando. Uh, I think something like 7% of NBA players tested positive for COVID-19 as teams... Uh, got back together. But I think what the league would have you believe is like what what they would frame that as is, look, all our players were out doing their own thing, being out in the world and 7% of them caught it. So, you know, now the league has this, well, as long as fewer than 7% of players catch it in the bubble, you can argue that the bubble was more effective than um, them being out in the real world. And I think, you know, as much as I have some moral issues with, you know, there's, there's an element of, implied coercion here where yes it's the decision of all the players but it's you know that's there's a limit to how much when you talk about how much money's on the line and the power of the top people in the union and stuff you know to to what level this is actually a decision can, can be debated um but you know i i think 
I think something that gets lost is like these guys were probably going to be out there playing in gyms anyway. And like we saw some video of mm -hmm. guys playing anyway or, or getting less safe workouts in. So um, I'd understand, you know, if you're at least if you're one of the better run franchises, like I cover the Raptors and they are a franchise people hold in high regard and they have they would have you believe that everything they've done has been super safe and they're going the extra mile. And, and as far as we know, they've had no positive tests since, um, you know, they've been in uh, in Naples for over a week now. Uh, Naples, Florida. So, um, you know, I, I think it's going to go ahead because of all of those things. I think there are some really big concerns, both in terms of uh, the moral risk inherent with asking these athletes to go into this situation and put their bodies and careers on the line, especially with how little we know about the long-term effects of COVID-19. Even in, you know, if you look at some of the studies that are out there, even in some asymptomatic patients, there are some long-term lung effects mm -hmm. uh, that doctors are starting to see so i there's an issue there there's an issue with you know I, I know the players want to use this platform to affect change around the world and they know all eyes will be on them and i want to be optimistic and positive about that and then you see something like the league rolling out here are the jersey names that you can have you know here here's here are the ways you're allowed to protest and message on your jersey and again more can happen than just that but i think you take all of those things into consideration and i feel pretty uncomfortable with it but we're also talking about billions of dollars with a B and we're talking about not just next year's salary cap and this year's salaries, but we're talking about longer term financial health in terms of, you know, if you're a minimum contract player, is this your last chance to make money? Or if you're LeBron James and, you know, can you afford if there's a lockout in 2021 or, you know, there are a lot of longer term financial considerations that that all the sides are weighing here so i do think it's going to move forward because of the money and because until there's evidence otherwise the league is going to tell you the bubble's safer than players being out in the world uh but i think that i have and i think it's probably healthy for everyone to be approaching this with at least some level of skepticism and kind of you know if you're in my role trying to be i'm not going to be there but to try to be as vigilant as i can you know if things if the numbers start to grow or things start to sour or players aren't given the opportunity uh, to speak about black causes that, that we thought they were going to have, you know, all of that stuff should be under the microscope because this is, uh, you know, this is a lot of risk the players are taking on. And yeah, there's a lot of money on the line, but the players are really in a no win situation with this. So, um, you know, I think it is going to continue, but I, I'm I'm a little skeptical is not the right word, but I'm a little uneasy with some of the specifics. So, um, yeah, it's something I'm going to be watching closely and I, I think the league is going to have to be aware that people are probably going to be more critical of how they handle all this stuff and their kind of crown as the like oh we're more forward thinking than the other leagues is kind of in the balance here with how they handle this sorry that's a really long answer to yes i think the season will play out because of money sorry no there was a lot in there i'm, I'm with that was, that was actually very insightful because i have like avoided all talk of it because I've just been fearful it won't happen. I don't want to be the guy that's like, oh, 20 this many days, you know that. So hearing all that, it really puts in perspective the amount of like factors in the balance here, right? Like the amount of things that could be impacted is pretty wild, I must admit. You're, that was spot on. I love it. Yeah, and it's tough in my position, to be honest. Like, obviously, I'm, I'm not having to risk my health going down to Orlando. Yeah. So, you know, I get to have this, and I'm also, uh, you know, a white man covering a predominantly black sport. So if I'm not vigilant about this, you know, I can be a little removed from it. So navigating how, you know, in my position, we're going to cover this accurately. And yeah, like 
you know, I see a lot of tweets from NBA Twitter and, and from more casual fans and stuff that people are kind of like you, Joe, and like haven't engaged with it entirely, mm-hmm. not just out of not knowing if it's going to happen for sure, but also, you know, not feeling the best about it. And mm-hmm. I have a job to do, but, you know, I, I'm going to have to make sure that I'm using that job responsibly. And like, you know, I can't just be like, well, this is too much risk for the players. I, I Sorry, the athletic, I quit. I don't want to cover it. Um, but, you know, this is something that's going to be a challenge for all of us and something someone in my position has to make sure, you know, I handle kind of responsibly on the COVID side and on the, you know, affecting change side in terms of black causes and the messaging the players want to get out there. So uh, I don't think you're alone in, in kind of having not disengaged from it, but, you know, there's certainly based on like, you know, when I tweet an article out, how much engagement does it get or how many comments or whatever, it certainly seems like people are a good number of people are in your position. It's like, maybe they'll check in July 30th when we get the first actual yeah. games or something like that. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with that. With it. I haven't been paying too much attention to the basketball news. Um, I mean, wrestling is like the one sport. I guess UFC didn't really stop, but wrestling is like the sport that just didn't stop through all of this. Like they didn't miss a single yeah. television or anything <laughs> like that. So, and Joe and I have a lot of moral issues with that. We we think that they should have just shut it down. And now, of course, they got all these positive tests. And it's like, what are, what are you guys really doing here? I'm approaching it with the same, the NBA that is, with the same amount of skepticism of like, all right, all this stuff kind of sounds good. Like, we'll put them in a bubble. Well, this thing about the rings that can like detect the virus before it gets to you. It's not even detect the virus. <laughs> it's like to detect if you've been within proximity of someone yeah. who could be a risk. And like, then you'd have to just go and get tested more and stuff. It's it's tough. And, and what, what I find, you know, complicated about it from the league side is I think in an ideal scenario when the NBA shut down, you know, if you want to use a wrestling comparison, look what New Japan did, where they shut down for a couple months. Their country did a deep, you know, if you trust the numbers post-Olympic mess or whatever, you know, they did a better job getting a handle on it. And then sports are kind of the reward. And I know that that's what a lot of European countries have, have talked about with soccer, or with, with basketball coming back as well. Is like, this is your reward for the country getting things under control. And I think the NBA was probably hopeful that... <laughs> that would happen in the United States too. But unfortunately they've handled the COVID outbreak, you know, statistically it's impossible to argue that they've handled it worse than a lot of places. Mm -hmm. So you suddenly, maybe in March, this seemed like a practical idea of we'll shut down for three months. We'll let the curve get flattened or whatever. And then doing a bubble will conceivably be safe. And now you're doing this bubble in Florida and you're doing it without maybe the Disney employees being a part of the quarantine system and stuff like that. And there's just, there's so many risk factors and so many questions still. And we're not like, it's not theoretical anymore. Like teams started getting to Orlando yesterday, like, and the numbers are still what they are. And there are still as many questions about the NBA setup as there are. It's a, and that, that goes for the WNBA side too, where, you know, I think they're maybe a little better isolated at the IMG camp in, in Bradenton, but also they have things like poor accommodations and having to fly commercial and still not having a schedule eight or nine days out from the start of the season and stuff. So, um, you know, I don't, it's tough. I think, I think in an ideal world, the league would have loved a a more new Japan situation where, Hey, we shut down the country, got things under control and now we can slowly roll out and and everyone can feel good about it. But that's, you know, that's not how it's played out. Yeah. I, in fear of sounding like totally selfish here, because I am very much aware of all the real life, issues involved in this like there is so much beyond even when the games start here right like you've just laid out perfectly better than i ever could but one of the reasons i'm so like hesitant to like dive into it 
is until I see it, I'm it always will feel kind of um it's like a make do, isn't it? By 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 default, it is. That's what it is. It's like a you know last resort kind of deal. And until I see it, it's hard for me to know how important it's going to feel when we get deep in this. If it makes it that far, and we're in NBA Finals, like how are they going to feel? Are we what kind of asterisk are we talking here? Asterisk are we talking here because obviously there's going to be one, right? Like we're all aware of the situation. It's you can't just ignore it. But is it going to get to a point where it's almost a farce? Is my kind of just sporting fan concern beyond all of the real-life matters that come way before that, I guess? Yeah, I, and honestly, I think those the real-life matters are related because I think, mm. you know, what's going to determine some of that is, like, do the top teams and the top players stay healthy? Because mm. if we get to a final eight where both LA teams, Giannis, the Raptors, the Celtics, the 76ers are all in there still, and you have from the second round of the playoffs onward – uh, fully healthy and a fully competitive three rounds of playoff. Like the first round might be a little messy because teams are still getting in shape and like the bottom of the Eastern Conference is pretty bad and stuff like that. But I think once you get to the second round, if things are going well, it is going to feel like normal because mm. comp- com- competitive levels kick in. You have 15, 20 games under your belt or whatever, and you're down to just the good teams. But if you suddenly look and, you know, in addition, you know, Landry Shamit on the Clippers is. is iffy to to come back and like we've seen teams like orlando and brooklyn be really hesitant about bringing their guys back and you know bradley beal's not going not that washington was ever really a relevant part of this but um you know the more things like that happen the more the bigger the asterisk grows so if you have you know if you get down to the final four and Giannis and lebron and Kawhi are all in there then you know maybe we're rolling and we're treating this like it's something close to a normal year if you get down there and the lakers have lost a couple players beyond avery bradley or the Clippers have lost a couple players, or, or you know, God forbid. Obviously, it's awful if anyone were to were to contract COVID, but or, or get injured because we're restarting with a compressed schedule. But you know, if Giannis goes down or something like that, anything like that that happens, that's when the asterisk really grows. And I think I, I would hope that I'm kidding myself because we're talking about online discourse. I would hope people accept the nuance that like the asterisk in this case doesn't mean it doesn't count as a title. Yeah. It's just an entirely unique title and you know some of the players will probably tell you it's an even tougher title to win and it's an even you know bigger title or even bigger accomplishment um but i think yeah what happens on the covid side and what happens on the injury side and what's going on in the world really all of that is gonna gonna play into just how we look at this in retrospect so um i don't have a good answer for you there you know i i'd certainly hope in the league certainly hoping by the time we get to like the second round and it's the end of august you know maybe the numbers have cooled down a little bit Maybe teams are healthy in the court. We can see the bubbles working, but um, there's certainly like a, at least a month of uncertainty ahead before we get any level of confidence in that. I think yeah, getting to the second sense. round is sort of that point of, okay, things are normal because, you know, they're doing what the, the eight, the eight game sort of condensed yeah. regular season. And then the first round, I mean, you mentioned the Nets. I'm pretty sure they're going to call us in the next couple of days to come play on this team because the Nets just have nobody right now. Like the Wizards, yeah, they don't have Beal. But like no one's, like the Nets and the Wizards, all right, they're going to be seventh, eighth seed at best anyway, get swept, maybe take a game in the first round. And so people are just going to be like, all right, even if they were healthy, no one was really going to look at them. You get to the second round, though, and you, you mentioned the teams you mentioned. Like let's say, God forbid, LeBron does get COVID or something. And then, like, he's out for the playoffs. People are going to be like, well, this title doesn't really count. Like, the Lakers were the mm. best team. 
they lost right. LeBron to, to this, or the Bucks lost Giannis, the Raptors lost uh, Siakam, like whoever it is, the, the top guys, people are just going to be like, all right, well, under normal circumstances, this doesn't count. Injuries, might they might be a little more leeway because injuries are just going to happen regardless. We saw that last year with the, with the Warriors. Like injuries just yeah. kind of happen. Obviously, this condensed schedule can make it tougher because injuries could, could pop up more often because of that. Um, the Asher thing is going to be something, though, depending on who gets it. And I think, you know, if you get past the, the first eight games, you get past the first round, no one really comes up with it, which hopefully is the case. Hopefully everyone's healthy, uh, both physically and, and with immune system with the virus. Um, if it does that and the bubble's working then, then it's a little less. But getting to that second round, there's still so much work to do to get mm-hmm. to that point oh, yeah. because it seems like every single day just last night who was who was the nets player that that got it and they they lost some they lost somebody Torian, else Torian prince yeah, yeah so that's yeah. that's i think four or five nets now right like they, they don't they don't have anybody and like it seems like every single day someone new you, you just woge or shams or is tweeting like this person got coronavirus they're gonna be out two weeks it's like okay well or two weeks maybe longer it's like all right well you know what's gonna happen with this team and and then the competitiveness like the east as you said not great the west you've got seven locks in the playoffs and then you've got three other teams at least like the blazers the grizzlies and the pelicans who all have to feel pretty good about their chances to get that and then meanwhile on the east it's like yeah the zombie wizards or the zombie nets are going to be like the seventh seed like how, how are you feeling if you're like a pelicans fan you've got zion ingram ball and you're on the outside, you've got a better record than this other team. Everyone would rather see this team play the Raptors than the than the Wizards, but it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I was okay with the idea of, like, reseeding 1-16 to 16 since there was no this year because there was no travel involved. Like, that's the, that's the argument against um, kind of stripping conferences out of the seeding in the big picture. But if there's no travel, you know, I would have been okay with it. And, like, it would have been fun. You get some novel matchups. Like I was really excited uh, on paper, like Raptors Grizzlies seemed likely. Mm-hmm. And like the Grizzlies have Brandon Clark, who's a fun Canadian and John Morant, who's obviously a ton of fun. And Jonas Valanciunas, who's an ex Raptor, like that would have been fun. So I was selling myself on that. Um, I think it's just the reality. Uh, you know, everyone's got to accept that this isn't ideal for anyone. You know, if you're the Pelicans, We've lost Blake as he was about to praise Zion, who uh, everyone's seen the Zion picture where he's got. Have you seen the picture yet, Joseph, where he's got the no, mask no. on? Oh, my God. Well, we're going to try to work and get Blake back here as he is frozen up on us. Um, hold on once. I wouldn't be our show if something like this no. did not happen. This is the distraction. <laughs> on brand uh yes 100 percent on brand i'm gonna remove blake from the call and give him a call back <laughs> it was all it was on the nba talk couldn't have happened in the wrestling talk jeremy right it gets, has certain way to talk about something fun yes 100 percent try calling him back i'm very glad we got that blake and murphy part that was um <laughs> we'll never top that we will never ever top the Blake and Murphy part of this podcast. I'm no glad I, I didn't want to. I it sucks the way I brought it up because I didn't realize it was getting like <laughs> messages from Alexa stands being like she doesn't like you, she's gonna break up with you and stuff like that. Um, but okay, it says he's back. He says his internet dropped out. He's messaging Blake if you can hear us. Um, 
I think I added you back on the call. <laughs> the distraction is this is peak distraction. Uh, yes. We'll get Blake back here. Um, looks like it's loading up. I might have to just try calling him back one more time. Let's see what happens. By the way, I'm amazed that there are like stands that they're they're into it enough that they're going to send a direct message, but they don't check who they're messaging. I find that to be <laughs> insane. Well, I know that's not the main issue of this, but the idea that someone's that in that they do that, but they don't actually check. Here we go. Hey guys, sorry about that. That's, that's all right. Sorry, you're talking about the Pelicans. Yeah, sorry. So basically, it's going to come down to for me, you know, if you don't like it, pitch better. Like, if you you should have been better over 64 games. And yeah, the conference imbalance sucks. And this comes up every couple of years as a discussion like, oh, the ninth or 10th seed in the West would have made the playoffs in the East. This relaunch situation isn't ideal for anyone. And, you know, I'm sure the Nets aren't happy about having four or five guys out. And I'm sure, you know, we don't know yet. I don't think if Jonathan Isaac's going to be back for the Magic. But if he's not, then like you could count the magic in that group too as like probably a team that's not going to put up a ton of fight in the first round so um it's not ideal for anyone i do think from the league side they're happy that there's actually a race for that eighth seed in the west and people actually care about some of these reseeding games uh but yeah big picture you know this disproportionately affects some teams and that sucks but this isn't a this isn't ideal for anyone i mean the east here's the, the thing with the east is like we all agree yes the bottom two of the playoff teams are going to suck. The floor of the of that conference is not great. Man, that top group of East teams is like, that. you're going to have some really, I mean, the Sixers are probably the worst of the, I guess the Pacers now, they've got some moving pieces from what I can tell. I haven't yeah, followed no, the no, no Oladipo for the Pacers. Yeah. The but then again, I guess they were playing pretty well before he came back, right, yep. for a while there. So that six teams, I mean, the Sixers are in the two of the, you know, bottom end of that, that six, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, while the floor maybe incredibly low on the east side. I think you're going to have a lot of fun once you get into, as you said, the second round. Um, I actually think that'll be where a lot of the more, not to say competitive, but I think you're going to see some really good stuff on that side of it, I would say. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, you know, Philly, Miami, Indiana, Boston. Those are all teams you yeah. don't want to play early. And it's why, you know, the Raptors, despite all their injuries, they, they had a pretty high priority on the number two seed all year because you kind of knew right away, like you, you wanted to avoid the, that bunch three through six in the first yeah. round and like yeah you want to be on the opposite side of the bracket of milwaukee as well to put them off as long as possible but there's a huge drop off between playing the pacers heat or 76ers in round one and playing the magic or nets like that's yeah. you're talking the difference between five games and seven games and you're talking about the difference between lowry and siakam if you're the raptors averaging 42 minutes and maybe averaging 36 minutes and with how compressed everything's going to be that's a huge difference so i i would say even you know, there's gonna there are gonna be two bad series in the first round of the playoffs, like Milwaukee against whoever, and whoever gets number two in the East, probably the Raptors mm -hmm. against whoever. But those other two East series, and really probably all of them in the West will be fun. You know, especially if Zion gets that spot yes. opposite the Lakers, that'll be a lot of fun to watch. You know, I don't think I don't think the Pelicans, Blazers, Spurs, Grizzlies are are gonna threaten the Lakers, but I think those series could be fun still at least. Um, so you know, and then I again, there's the element of everyone will just be so thirsty for basketball that. You know, maybe even those Nets games will seem fun. <laughs> I don't know about that. But I will be. I'll get you. Hey, Blake. Harris Levert's a treat to watch. There you go. There you go. Blake, how are you going to feel when uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander is finals MVP? Yeah, hey, that's, that's, that's fine. You know, um, as long as... Huh. Yeah, if it's not going to be the Raptors, you know, I want to I want to see some Canadian guys thrive. So there, there are a few sprinkled around, but having Shea and Lou Dort 
both on the Thunder is uh, it'd be appreciated. And you know, Stephen Adams is uh, I think as close to a Canadian as a non-Canadian can get. Like <laughs> like there's there's nobody in the league who could crush as much Molson as Stephen Adams. So I think he I think he'd fit right in here too. Um, so yeah, I, I've always I've always had an affinity for the Sonics and the Thunder. Um, and then Shea is obviously so I mean such a great kid, but also so important to the future of Canadian basketball that I would be very happy to see the Thunder make uh, kind of a. I guess not unlikely, given how good they were, but I don't think people will be picking it. If they make a run, I'll be all over it. So I know it's hard because of what, you know, we just mentioned how many like moving pieces. Every day there's a new story. But like just general instincts, I mean, obviously, I don't know if it's changed for you since everything's happened, but where are you, um, what are you expecting to be our finals matchup, I guess? Is it the same as it was before COVID or we we changed it? I think before the before the season, I said Clippers over the 76ers, and that uh, that 76ers part of <laughs> that tough. doesn't look as great now. Um, you know, <laughs> even like the other day, the comments from Joel Embiid that were basically like, "If I'm risking my health to go into this bubble, like you better be giving me touches." Like it's just not. I don't trust that it's going to run smoothly. I think no. I think the Sixers have like the bit the widest range of outcomes, and literally nothing in the middle of that range can happen. It's only going to be they're going to come back and they're going to be the best team or they're going to be an absolute disaster um, yeah. and nowhere in between. So I, it's tough. Like, I don't know. You know, I, I worry a little bit about the compressed schedule for a guy like Kawhi Leonard picking the Clippers. But I also wonder if, like, the three or four months off were really beneficial to him. And if you think about guys who won't be affected by no home crowd, uh, Kawhi Leonard is probably the <laughs> least affected by a crowd that, that there is. Um, so I don't know. I don't. I don't think I saw enough this year to steer away from that. I'd probably not. Probably I would pick the Bucks to come out of the East pretty, yeah. pretty solidly now. And I think I actually like the Raptors the second best uh, to come out of the East. You know, Raptors Celtics are kind of really close in my head. But I think you know the two LA teams are confidently above the rest of the West, and I like the Clippers a little better than the Lakers. Um, just with a little bit of additional depth and what we saw from Kawhi last year. So, um, yeah, I'll stick with the Clippers to win it all, but I do not feel good about any predictions going into this thing. I'm with you. I think I co-sign that. I don't know about you, Jeremy. I, uh, I'm not comment on the 76ers, so I'll leave it there. Carry on. <laughs> I think I had Clippers, Sixers as well. I don't Why? Why did we think the Sixers were going to be good? We should have known better, honestly. They should. I mean, here's the deal. Look, I don't want to get into all of this. is tough for me as it is. We started tough. Now we're going to end that way. Not yes, that deal. But... That was my plan. Sometimes you get lost in what guys can do and what they actually do. And it was very easy for us as Sixers fans to be like, oh, Tobias Harris can shoot. He's not like a guy who wants to be volume shooting three-pointers. you know. And the issue with our team, in fear of oversimplifying the matter, is that everyone wants to do their own thing to an extent, right? I mean, there's times where you watch the Sixers and you're you're left kind of thinking, all that talent... And would they be a better team if it was just Simmons and Bede and three nondescript shooters? Probably. It, it probably would be. Now, the defense has been an issue, and I think Hallford has struggled to adjust. But I honestly think it's simpler than people kind of realize. And, you know, I don't, maybe it's not. But to me, it is just guys want to do more than we need them to, almost, in our system. And I don't think Brett's quite complex enough to figure that out. Yeah, I, th- I think for me, the reason I maybe, at least for the regular season, over overrated what I thought they would be is like, you know, they, they got to the same point or or a similar point a couple years in a row. And like, it was the same issue that they've been running into. And a lot of that is the Simmons MB fit on offense Mm -hmm. and how, you know, you look at the on off data for years now, it's like, Oh, when only one of them's on the floor, 
the Sixers are unbeatable. And then when they're both on the floor, the Sixers really struggle. And I just thought, I guess, after you go through that a couple times, like maybe there's enough evidence that like it gets resolved. Whether it's like a Simmons ego thing or a Simmons shooting thing or an Embiid ego thing or a Brett Brown, how you run the offense thing. I just thought they'd taken the playoff lumps enough that like there would be meaningful change. And instead they just came back like almost the exact same, except instead of Jimmy Butler, now there's Al Horford. Yeah, well, when you put it that way, yeah. It's not, yeah. Um, I, I do mean, love Matisse Thybul, though. He's, yeah, he's tremendous. Yeah, yeah, I. It's insane when we got to like January and Brett suddenly started to use Ben as the screener, and it was like, oh, this is fun. It's like, yeah, probably could have been doing this for a while, guys. Gonna be honest, yeah, I'm not an expert on this. Exactly, that stuff like that's frustrating. But you're right. Like, it would not surprise me if they come back and it clicks. On certain days, it has clicked and they've looked incredible. It's just they're so few and far between, unfortunately for me. I feel bad for you as a Sixers fan for many reasons, but mainly because it feels similar to my Thunder fandom with the the Westbrook Durant era, where it's like this team could just beat everybody, but chances are it's just going to end in all kinds of disappointment, despite all the yeah. talent that might be on paper. Like this Thunder season has been just amazing after everything that's happened. It's been great. I'm picking. Look, I'm picking OKC to win the title because they've given me no reason to not to at this point. Like they, Chris Paul saved the league when he asked, where's Rudy? Why isn't Rudy here? Yeah, the True. league would have just continued to play on Chris Paul. True. They saved the league by snitching or just, you know, looking for more information. Once they got this helpline, what is it? The, the call, the help thing. If somebody, Chris Paul is going to be hitting that up all the time. Be like, yeah, I saw, I saw LeBron out. I don't know. Maybe you want to suspend him for a game or something. <laughs> Chris Paul does not care. This is why OKC is going to win the title. Like this is a team that's together. They're doing everything the right way. I'm going with them to pick the, to win the title. Uh, it doesn't matter who they beat in the finals. It does. They're, they're going to play the pay. They can play a hodgepodge of Eastern Conference All-Stars. They're going to beat them all. Chris Paul, fourth quarter king, point god. He's going to knock down all the shots. It's over. That, that's what's going to happen. His clutch stats this year are unbelievable. Yes. I've experienced it. I was not... I was not a Chris Paul fan coming into the season. I was like, I was happy we got something decent. I was super afraid we were going to get Andrew Wiggins for Russell Westbrook, and I did just, I did not want that at all. I was happy it was Chris Paul. I was like, all right, look, Chris Paul's still good. Uh, he's been great. Shea has been great. Adams is awesome. Lou Dort, Defensive Player of the Year and Rookie of the Year. He would have won both of them if the league didn't shut down. He may still do it. I don't know, um, but he's been fantastic. I love this Thunder team. I'm at. I'm excited for basketball to return, assuming it does, selfishly. I hope everyone stays safe because we don't it doesn't need to be a wrestling situation. Like wrestling is just it's awful the way they've handled it. At least the NBA has yeah. tried to handle it to, to some extent. Triple H with his magic spray hasn't killed anything. Like it's it's been terrible. Yeah, but that sums it up pretty well. <laughs> By the way, before we go here. And Blake, maybe I help me with this. When did Andrew Wiggins go from being like the consensus most untradeable contract to being like, oh yeah, they traded Andrew Wiggins? <laughs> when did, did I miss something in the timeline there? That was pretty confusing. No, to me. Not really, but the thing in basketball is like, there's never, there's no such thing as an untradeable contract yes. because contracts can't extend that long, and because there are enough bad contracts around the league. <laughs> like Wiggins got traded because. D'Angelo Russell also got signed to a max. And you might like D'Angelo Russell better than Andrew Wiggins or whatever, but he's not a max contract player. So yeah. that's why that was possible. And now you're seeing, you know, this offseason, you'll see rumors about Wiggins getting dealt again because if you're trying to acquire a star, having a large contract helps make the salary math work. And then you just throw a bunch of picks at it 
Uh, I actually think poor Wiggins, you know, he, he's never going to live up to being a number one pick or that contract. He actually got like noticeably better this season and no mm-hmm. one's ever going to appreciate it because yeah. it's just like, well, he's still overpaid. And it's like, yeah, there's, he does not, he doesn't really have a path to not being overpaid, but he maybe has a path to like becoming a good, like kind of second tier guy. It just, uh, you know, anyway, yeah. the, the real answer is no contract design. Bismack Biombo got traded. Like, <laughs> On that four-year, sixty-four million-dollar deal or whatever, no contract is untradeable. Every Thunder, every Thunder fan will tell you Andrew Wiggins is the best player in the league because that dude just kills them every single time. Just completely kills them. Andrew Wiggins has like three game winners in his career, and they're all against the Thunder. I swear, Blake. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Where can the people find your work? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter at Blake Murphy ODC, and then all my works at theAthletic.com. If I can cheap plug here. Uh, if you click on any of my articles right now, you can get a 30-day free trial, uh, or you could go to theathletic.com slash we the six, the number six, or, and get 40% off. So depending on whether you want 40% off or a 30-day free trial, uh, you can go to either of those spots. There you go. Okay. Sign up to The Athletic. They always do great work. Just a full talent of uh, roster over the uh, over at The Athletic. Again, thank you for joining us today. I'm sorry people message you about Blake Murphy <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah, I'll stop fight. doing that, man. I'm yeah. sorry. I'll stop doing it. It's, <laughs> right. it's, uh, it's right in the bio at this point. It says not a tag team in my Twitter bio to try to get ahead of me. It doesn't, uh, doesn't work out. You would That's think great. people. You would think people would realize, like they would see it, and you know they're so obsessed with like protecting Alexa Bliss that they want to message you. It's like you'd think they'd realize they're messaging the wrong person, but. Yeah. Also, I've just like look at the avatar, like like my. It's not like my picture looks anything like Buddy Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, it is amazing to me. They'll go that far, but miss all the details. It's tremendous. Uh, you can follow Joe on Twitter at JoeHolbert5. I'm at Jeremy Lambert88. We have the TEW series this Saturday, the Road to King to Ki- King of Kings. Check out our review we did on Tuesday. We reviewed Santa Slay starring Goldberg, an amazing film, absolutely amazing film that everybody should go out of their way to see. You can follow Blake on Twitter, check out The Athletic, follow him for basketball and wrestling. How is OG and Anobi's New Japan Cup bracket coming along? Ne- never got a chance to ask oh. him. I don't. I don't know. All I know about the Raptors is I know Kyle Lowry is like an Attitude Era fan, but okay. I've still never made that wrestling, con- the modern wrestling connection with any of them. Dame is like he his he puts his fandom on full like he puts it out there. He everyone knows he's a wrestling fan. Is there anyone who might surprise us like oh wow this person's a wrestling fan? Uh, Giannis is a is a big wrestling fan. I actually yeah. ran into Giannis and a couple of the Bucks at a house show in Toronto one year. Wow. Like they the Bucks had a night off in Toronto and there was like a house show at this like five thousand person arena and I was like oh that's Giannis and John Henson and Rashad Vaughn across from me. <laughs> uh, it was rules. very weird. Uh, Dwight cool. Howard, I think, is a big wrestling fan. The one that surprises people a lot is Vince Carter. Like, Vince Carter, there's the funny photo that that people bring up of, like, LeBron James at a Monday Night Raw holding his flip phone. Yeah. Uh, there are, like, like Memphis Grizzlies-era Vince Carter was at every wrestling event that rolled through that city. Like, Vince was, Vince was on Raw and, like, did a couple backstage things, I think, with Titus Worldwide at one point. Uh, Vince, Vince yeah. is the one that I think would surprise people the most. Enos Cantor, we know, I mean, Enos Cantor is a former 24-7 champion. That man is a, you know, wrestling royalty. So a lot of connections with uh, wrestling and he is wrestling royalty. Don't laugh. A lot of connections with wrestling and basketball. Blake, again, thank you for coming on. Anytime you want to come back, you're more than welcome to talk basketball because we'd much rather talk about that than wrestling. 
Yeah, we have the opposite thing going. I'd rather talk about yeah. wrestling on my basketball podcast. <laughs> so we can. We, this is great. This has been a nice middle ground. Thanks, uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks everybody for listening. We'll talk to you on Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.